You are listening to the Aaron Evans podcast. This podcast is for the skinny dippers, the seekers, the stargazers, those that want to dream big, bet high, fall in love again and again, those that want to break free and know their highest self. Thank you for your attention. You can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans or check out my website, AaronEvansYoga.com. Buckle up and thank you for tuning in. I am with one of my favorite people. This person has been a teacher of mine. This person has played music and made me shake my booty. This person has talked me out of some pretty dark places. And I am so stoked to have Tiaga Prem with me. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Always a pleasure to be together. So Tiaga, tell me a little bit about you. Well, where should I start? Just in general? <laughs> How about we start when I met you? It was, it was before your daughter was born. So let's start uh -huh. there, before you became a parent. Yeah, before I became a parent, like my background, I always say uh, that I've had one foot in the ashram and one foot in the nightclub my whole life. Um, you know, obviously not as like a really young child, but I've always had a spiritual uh, slant to, to my life. And I've also always loved music and being a part of that scene. And it's been sort of a karmic relationship, trying to balance those two worlds because they can be very different. They're also a lot alike in, in many ways as well. But um, yeah, so I DJed uh, growing up, like I was playing in clubs before I was old enough to go into clubs and, and rapping and doing all of this stuff, doing graffiti and being a delinquent, but also was interested in, in meditation and yoga young. And so um, when I met you, I would have been in Vancouver and uh, I had just come out of a previous relationship and had gone back to some old habits and patterns and was back in the, how do I balance this, you know, party guy and <laughs> wandering monk guy? Like, what, what do I do with that? And when I got to Vancouver, I started doing things like teaching yoga with um, reggae music and just trying to bring like a really holistic, healthy lifestyle uh, together with that, my love of the club without having to be out till four in the morning in a bar. And uh, that doesn't mean that I stopped drinking or taking drugs or anything that came later. Um, but I did... I could see that I wanted to sort of balance these two worlds or harmonize them in my life. And um, when I came to Vancouver, that's when I found out about Sri Dharma Mitra, who's a continues to be a root teacher of mine. I spent a lot of time in New York learning from him. And uh, so was sharing that as well. And that was really transformative for me. I'd had a lot of teachers before that, but he was like, he was a real kind of like a gateway drug, you know, they say like, if you take, you know, if you smoke marijuana, then you're going to end up doing all these other things. Dharma was like that for me. Like I always loved Ram Dass and Alan Watts and these kind of characters. And I always wanted a, a spiritual name and all of that. Um, but Dharma definitely took something that like the physical practice, like it's like, wow, look at all these shapes that I can make. And and then also like, have you tried these pranayamas? Have you tried chanting? Have you tried, like he kind of opened uh, my eyes like to things that I understood intellectually, but hadn't experienced. And so I was t 
really fired up and inspired by my time with Dharma when I would have uh, met, met you. And um, yeah, so I was the, one of the first teachers out here in the West sharing what Dharma taught. And uh, it's, he was, that was the beginning of a new life, right? Because I hadn't had a, become a parent yet. And so he appeared, you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. He appeared at the perfect time for me. And we would have met right around uh, then. So how's that for a brief journey through my life? I love it. And I, I love Dharma Mitra. I actually went to New York and studied with some of their teachers at the Dharma Mitra Institute because yeah. of you. So for the listener that doesn't know, Dharma Mitra's style of yoga is really big, beautiful postures. And thread in between is philosophy. You've got uh, rebels, it's rock and roll, it's gnarly. It is such a cool scene. A couple words that you mentioned that I would love for you to clarify, you use the word karmic. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> Good. Um, well, karmas are like, you know, the best way that I can understand them in English is like the conditions that you experience in your life. And I think about uh, time being like a wave. So if you sat and watched the ocean, you would see like the waves, they keep coming and coming and they come in different shapes and sizes. And I, I found karma to be like, you know how you keep getting the same lesson? Like it's like you end up in the same relationship, but with a different person or the same problem keeps showing up in your life or and after a while it's all it sort of becomes comical because you're like oh not this again it, you know that kind of thing so those waves those are your karmic conditioning like for whatever reason maybe it's from a previous life maybe it's from your decisions in this life these opportunities to learn keep coming and as they keep coming it's like learning to ride the wave or learning to ski or whatever but the wave i like because it is this constant motion of time and so we always have the beauty of it is that we always have another wave coming so even though you may feel like you missed an opportunity the next wave is going to come and in some ways that can be scary and some ways that can be um you know, we don't want that and we want to avoid it. But in other ways, it's like an opportunity to learn to stand up and ride the wave. And and when we do that, I found that that's really like if, if you want to teach something like yoga or you want to teach, you know, about activism or whatever it is, you want to like make a difference in the world. Usually it's learning to ride those waves that the really like deep uh, teachings are going to come through you. And why why are those waves specific to you? I mean, that's the karmic piece. It's like, for whatever reason, like when I was a little kid, before I knew anything about yoga, before I knew anything about India or anything, I used to lie on the top bunk of my um, bed. I had bunk beds, there's like a desk underneath. So I would sleep up high and I would pretend that I was in the Himalayas under my blanket, sleeping in the Himalayas. And I never told anybody that it was like my own thing. And, and I don't even remember anyone ever saying like the Himalayas, blah, 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 or learning about it in school. It was just there. That's a karmic relationship. And it keeps coming into my life as a wave to learn from. So is that, how's that? Yeah. I actually heard Ram Das say that we come into the world with our personality and there is no free will 
that everything is already going to happen, but our job is to burn our karma to stop creating more karma so that we can get to God using what we're gifted at. And so I loved how you explained that as like these reoccurring lessons until we learn the lesson and the karma, but there will always be more. Yep, the wave keeps coming. And every time the wave comes is a new opportunity. So I, I think... There's a lot of language around karma, I think, I, in my studies that makes it seem like you're powerless. And I don't necessarily think that's true. I like the surfing analogy because it's like, yeah, you are powerless when it comes to the ocean. Like you are just a tiny person. But if you learn to work with it and you study it and you pay attention and then eventually let go of the studying and gripping and you can just ride it. Yeah. I love that. And then you keep going on vacations because you love surfing and you're like, I just want to get on that way. Build your life around it. <laughs> yeah. So the name change, let's dive right into that. So you mentioned you always wanted a spiritual name. Why? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I was, I was a teenage runaway. So I left home early in life because I was having a hard time getting along with my family. Uh, since then, we've like, my mother and I, like we had intense karmas early in life and we just couldn't, like she was raised religious um, and her, she was all, uh, her mother had her when she was 16 years old. So she was a child of a teenage pregnancy. So her foundation was like, she had to be a mother to her siblings as like my daughter's nine. So she had to be a mother like at that age to her siblings. So she had really strong faith, but she also had a limited worldview because she lived like in a rural part of Ontario on a farm. And so she had really strong faith because you would have to in order to hold that kind of pressure as a young person. Um, and so, you know, and this limited world perspective. And then all of a sudden she's got this wild young person who's like talking about the Buddha and talking about, you know, strange ideas that were told to her by the church that was like the devil or something like that and blessed her. I mean, she was just doing the best that she could with what she had at the time, but we had major challenges as a result of my, uh, where I wanted to go and where she thought that I, I should go. And so I left uh, home and uh, when I was out just like roaming around being free, getting into trouble, I was in a bookstore. I didn't have any money at the time. And I found this orange book with a man on the cover with, you know, dreadlocks down to the ground. And uh, the book said, it's here now, are you, uh, by a man called Bhagavan Das. And I started to look through the book and I thought, I need this book. I have to have it. So I slipped it into my coat and uh, took it with me. And that book totally transformed my life forever, Bhagavan Das. And then that's where I heard about, he introduced Ram Das to to his teacher, Neem Karoli Baba. I've read that book so many times. I've passed it off to different people in my life. Um, he was definitely like my first yoga teacher. Um, yeah, so ever since then, I was like, someday I want to have, I want to be like this man, you know? And uh, anyhow, I, I did receive a spiritual name eventually from Dharma, but it, it never really stuck for me personally. Like, and it's funny because he said, like, this name is just between, meant to be just between us, but I'm a rebel like yourself. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to, you know, try and use this name. And 
I remember coming back from New York and we went to the Hare Krishna temple to have a meal because they feed, feed everybody good vegetarian food. And uh, there was a celebration. It might have been Krishna's birthday or something. So we went to the Hare Krishna temple. And I remember walking in and I had been given uh, by Dharma this beautiful mala when he gave me my spiritual name that I was supposed to keep secret. And I was like telling people this was going to be my new name. And I walked into the temple and, and it didn't snap on anything or anything like that. I just walked into the temple and the uh, mala that Dharma gave me broke and like shattered into millions of pieces like all over the floor. And there was like little Indian ladies like trying to help gather. And I was like, just leave it. It's, it's, that, it's, that. if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. I mean, I, I tend to be pretty, I'm a mystic. So I'm always watching for the signs. Um, so that name never stuck. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'll just keep this name to myself. And then uh, years later, when I started to study Kundalini Yoga and explore uh, the Sikh way of life, I did receive another spiritual name. Um, and there's a prayer by uh, Guru Nanak, who's the first Guru of the Sikhs called Japji Saib, which means the prayer of the soul. And the first time that I heard that prayer, like I had a feeling kind of like when I saw the Bhagavan Das book, like I was like, there's something like I'd heard this before or like, and I don't understand the language or anything. It's long. It's 20 minutes long. But I was just really moved by the sound. And um, when I received my first copy of the Japji Saab, it was on my birthday. And uh, at the same time is when I received my spiritual name. So this all happened at the same time. And the name is Tiaga Prem or Tiaga Prem. Uh, Prem, if you were Punjabi, you would say Prem to pronounce it. But they, these are Sanskrit words. They're not from Gurmukhi, from the uh, Sikh tradition. They're older than that. But uh, Tiaga is in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about this. Uh, if, any, if anyone's like, what is he talking about? Bhagavad Gita is one of the original texts of yoga and how we understand yoga. It's worth reading whether you are a Hindu or not, or whether you are interested in yoga philosophy or not. It's a, a beautiful book about ethics and how to show up in the world. And it doesn't take very much to read. It's a thin, thin little book. Um, anyhow, he talks about re renunciation and, and how important that is to spiritual awakening. And he talks about these two kinds of renunciation. One is sannyasa, which is like a monk. Like we know about monks and nuns and people who take some kind of like vows and they give up everything. Well, tiaga is the other form of renunciation where it's like you only keep what's necessary for your, for your life and you don't keep any excess things. You know, you don't get into this mentality of like more is better. You just only keep what you cherish. And I really love that. I feel like that's been, as we said, part of my karmic uh, upbringing. It's like, I love music. I, you know, I don't love cocaine or something. So I want to keep the music. But I did that in my own recovery where I, I associated like drugs and alcohol with music. And so I tried to like go away from music so that I could get away from drugs and alcohol. And I had to separate the two and keep the music close and leave the substances. Well, that's a form of Tiaga. It's like the music is really important to me. The drugs and the alcohol are really harmful for me. So I have to renunciate something, even though those appear to be connected. Yeah, so that's Tiaga. And then Prem or Prem means love. And so when you put the two together, it means like, and, and this is something that stood out in Bhagavan Das's book where he said, 
If you can't put love in it, don't do it. That's the essential teaching of yoga. And to me, Tiago Prem, that's what that means. And every time I hear it, I think, oh, well, make sure you're being kind and loving. Um, and, and then uh, later on, there's a lot attached to this name. That's why even though I try and throw it away, it comes back. Like I'm like, oh, I don't want that. And then it comes back. Um, when we found out that the Yogi Bhajan was a sexual predator who was a, brought Kundalini Yoga to the West, and I'd asked questions about it and felt like I never really got a clear answer. And you probably experienced hearing some of this around Patabi Joyce and that kind of thing. I've talked to a lot of my Ashtanga friends about the experiences with him and how they processed that. It was really hard for me because my other primary root teacher, his name is Guru Singh. He was with Yogi Bhajan for 50 years. He said he didn't know anything about that, which is possible. I mean, if somebody's a master manipulator, uh, they could, people around them might not know what they're up to. Um, but it was really hard for me to, to process that because I have like this teacher who I love and then this man who was his teacher who I didn't know, who was doing all this bad stuff. And what do I do with this? And I want to be in integrity, especially as a man and as a yogi. And it was really confusing. So I stepped away from my spiritual name and I stepped away from some of my practices. I'm going fast here, but this is just connect. We can unpack anything you want. I'm an open book. Um, but anyhow, I, I just pulled back and I, I stopped doing my morning prayers in the Sikh tradition. I cut my hair. I stopped doing the, the Kundalini yoga practices. I stopped using the name. I was just like, I need to let that all go. Like an elimination diet. You know, if you have an allergy, you take everything out and then you slowly add the things back in. It's another form of Tiago, right? So, so I tried to get away from the name, but, you know, I had four friends die during this last 18 months, which was really intense. I haven't had that much death in my life. And two of them, I, I just kept thinking when they died, like, if this was Guru Singh, my teacher, who I distanced myself from, I would have regrets. Like, I would feel like this is, I can't believe I left it at that. And it's okay. I had to go through my pain, but that's how I felt. And I, and then I was just like reflecting on this name and how, you know, it, I got sober doing Kundalini Yoga, which I had tried to do most of my life. And I'm, you know, finally able to do it effectively. And it's improved my life as a parent and, and as a teacher and as a partner in so many ways. So I'm thankful for that. And that's connected to that name. Um, my teacher, Guru Singh, his daughter, uh, we went to a blessing for one of his grandchildren that was going to be born. So in the Kundalini Yoga, they say at 120 days, the soul enters the body of the baby. And then, you know, from there, they are born and they come out of the womb and they're, they're an, a person in the world, a human. So I got to go to the 120 day blessing of this baby and his daughter kept asking, um, me like, what, do, what does the name Tiago mean to you? I'm a bit stunned sometimes. Like I'm not even registering that. Like she's asking about names, she's pregnant, like, good, hello. <laughs> so at the time I didn't even notice. I just thought she was making conversation. And then I was like, oh yeah, here's what it means, much like we're doing now. And then she had this baby, which she named Tiago. And the baby had complications breathing and only lived for a couple of days and then passed. And yeah, it was really like a heavy thing. And, I, you know, I've always said that Guru Singh has been a, a father figure to me. He's been really great to me. Um, 
You know, he's been practicing yoga for 50 years. He's connected to Pramahansa Yogananda. His great aunt brought Pramahansa Yogananda to the West from India. It's a big part of the yoga story, and I'm tied to that, and so is that name. And so to try and get rid of it, it just feels like you always wanted a spiritual name. You have a spiritual name. It's connected to all of these stories. You don't have to throw it away because some man that you didn't know behaved badly. Like, that's not your responsibility. But it took me a took me a good 18 months to come to that realization. And I also know people call me Reno and that's okay too. Like I, that's also a part of my life and my experience and and I'm okay with that as well. Um, but they're, they're, that's part of my story and I'm not willing to uh, get rid of it because of somebody else's behavior. I, I don't think that's fair. Yeah. Something I love that you said was you mentioned integrity and as a, a watcher of your life unfold, I, I saw the name oscillate. I saw you wearing a turban and then you weren't, but it felt really true to you. Like you never were worried about what your students, what the public would think. And, and as a teacher, it's like the uh, evolutions of Aaron. There's people that have followed me on the way and those that, that have fallen off the right. Aaron train. And yeah. so I'm curious about the studentship through all your changes. Yeah, that, that's been a challenge. I mean, I don't have any personal regrets around my um, moving through different um, versions of it because my intent has always been to be a student of yoga and everything that I've done is me like being willing to go fully into what I'm learning and, and actually like, I wouldn't want to have as a student, a teacher who wasn't willing to do that because, and it's funny cause Dharma, he said something to me once that has stuck with me through all these years where he said, there are three groups of students and there are three groups of teachers and they all need each other. And there's a natural rhythm to this and you don't have to try and fix it. And, and so he said, there's kind of group three and in group three, it kind of ties into the uh, gunas and the qualities of nature and reality. But this is very simple, which uh, Dharma is, he's like a child in a lot of ways, which is beautiful. So group three, the student complains a lot, is lazy. It's like, I paid for this, where's my thing kind of mentality. Um, and then there's a teacher like that. They're lazy, they complain a lot, and they think everything revolves around them, and they need each other. And by the way, you may not stay in, in these groups. It, actually, often you'll kind of go from group three to group two to group one, but that's not guaranteed. These are just three groups, and like I said, it's natural, and it will take care of itself. And if your intent, like we're saying, is, is to understand yoga, which at the heart of it is to practice compassion, then you'll just naturally become, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll move into group one and then you'll probably oscillate right back and forth. So group three, they're the complainers and sometimes lazy and that kind of thing. Then group two, which is the largest group. Like if you think group three is pretty small, group two is really big and group one is even smaller than group three. So that's what, how it would map out. Group two is like, Sometimes are, they're really dedicated. 
Sometimes they, you know, are really sincere and they want to like show up and do their best and serve. And sometimes they're just like, oh, I don't want to hear anything about yoga ever. I don't want to hear a yoga podcast. I'm just not into it at all. Just get me away from it. And then they'll come back into being, and they kind of do both, right? And that's a big group. And then there is group one who is just like, this is my life. This is all that there is for me. And it might not make sense to anybody. And I may be lonely here as, you know, but this is just what it is for me. And I'm dedicating myself to this. And there are students and teachers. And you, if you feel like that, you need a teacher like that. Otherwise, it just won't work, right? Oh. And if you feel like sometimes you want to and sometimes you don't, you need a teacher like that. Otherwise, it just won't work. And that really resonated with me. And I felt like my journey, like as I surf these karmic waves has been like, the intent has always been the same. When I started practicing, it was about healing. And I sincerely believe that enlightenment or to be awakened or to live with uh, loving kindness towards all beings is possible in this lifetime. That's why I practice yoga. And, and I don't think for me, um, it's not like, oh, okay, well, you just, here's the thing you do and then you'll get there. That hasn't been my experience. It's like, and, and for some people that is their experience, yeah. but for my experience, it's like, oh, I meet Dharma and he, sh he helped me to uh, connect to the physical body and show like, wow, I never thought that I would be able to do this. Put my leg behind my head, put my feet on top of my head, all of these things that I never thought I would be able to do because when I came to yoga, I, could, I couldn't do hardly any postures. And then all of a sudden, like my body started to change and open in this incredible way. And then, you know, and then I moved into more subtle practices, which he, like I said, he was a gateway to the subtle body. He was like, oh, more pranayams, more uh, chanting, like start doing some of these things. And so I was doing that. And then that opened me up perfectly for kundalini yoga and doing like deep pranayama practices, waking up early in the morning, practicing for two and a half hours, like doing a lot, a lot, a lot of breath and energetic work. And then that opened me up for what I love so much about the Sikh tradition and also the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, which was there for me at the start of my practice, is the chanting got me into the bliss body and the devotional aspect. And all of those, I mean, I'm speaking to the three main bodies that they talk about in yoga. So it's, they're not different. They look different, like putting your leg behind your head and standing up and chanting for 20 minutes, those look different, but the it's yoga. Mm, yeah. You, it makes me want to cry hearing that because I have devoted my life to yoga and, and have made many sacrifices, but I can't imagine it any other way. And I can't get enough of it. And it's, I think about it like you're going on an adventure and somebody did the adventure before you. So they know you're going to run out of water 20 kilometers in you're going to be exhausted at 50. Uh, you'll have to take a nap here. And so it's yeah. like the teachers, they did it before us. So they're teaching us to, to walk, travel that terrain. Yeah, I totally. love that. And so for the, the listener, the gunas, the idea, this is a big concept, is that we've got two realities happening. We've got the manifest world that is always in birth life and death cycle so the seasons our bodies and then we've got this ever present reality of like god consciousness so the yeah. gunas are um those three qualities the three type of student and teacher 
And those three qualities, tomas, which is lazy, rajas, which is excited, and sattva, which is blissful, peaceful, are always intermingling and playing out in our material world. And eventually we move beyond the gunas when we no longer mix up the pure, the, the God consciousness, with that which is living and dying. Can you speak yep. to uh, sobriety and, and how it happened and the struggles you might face with it? Yeah, of course. So like I said at the start of our conversation, I've always kind of had these two realities, nightclub life and yoga life. And I'm, another one of my big heroes is Alan Watts. And I always have said Alan Watts has been a blessing and a curse in my life, which actually, you know, many teachers, you hear a lot of students saying their teachers a blessing and a curse. But the blessing and the curse of Alan Watts is that, you know, he died from alcoholism. And that's not something that everybody knows. And that, you know, he would sometimes when he would be giving talks, he would be so plastered that they would put people sitting next to him on both sides so that he wouldn't slump over. And I would always think like, well, you know, if he can drink and do all of that and still like share Dharma, then like I can too. And it took me a long time to come to the realization that like he can be my teacher, but I don't have to be him. You know, and so that's the blessing and the curse is like, wow, I learned so much about life from this incredible being and listening to his talks. Like I still, it, he, he's mesmerizing, um, you know, and now you can go on YouTube and just type in Alan Watts and get a hit of like, you know, a, it's like a key to the secrets of the universe. But at the same time, it's like you also want to do better than your teacher did. And even Bhagavan Das, he went to, uh, uh, AA when he was 70 years old. It's like, I don't want to be going to AA at 70 years old. Like I always had that kind of feeling. And my relationship with alcohol, like I talk a lot with my recovery peeps about uh, this idea of the inner knower, which is a very yogic concept, this part of you that knows, like beyond all of the thinking and the stories that you tell yourself, there's like an, a voice underneath all of that that knows exactly what is best for you. And and sometimes we listen to that, but most of the times we ignore it. And that's what creates those karmic waves is, uh, you know, us ignoring that voice. Like, you know, and whoever's listening to this, you probably had an experience where you went like on both sides where you were like, I did that thing. I knew I shouldn't have. And I did it anyways. I didn't listen. Hopefully next time I get it. Or you didn't do it because you had a gut feeling and you listen and you're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I didn't do the thing you know, that I listen to my, and we, we've all experienced that in some way. And, and my way is like, from the moment I tasted alcohol, I was like, this isn't for me. Like I had a, this feeling, you know, but I didn't do anything with that. And that feeling always kept coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. And I eventually got to a place uh, when we opened a, a Dharma temple, we had a previous center before that Dharma Yoga Vancouver, um, and I was drinking when I was there. I was a new parent. I was uh, the business relationship we had there that was strained and I just was not coping well. And so I was drinking to escape. Um, and I came to this point, we left there, we started Dharma temple. It was around when I met Guru Singh. And, um, I came to this place where I was like, dude, if you don't stop with the drinking, like you're going to lose this thing that is so meaningful to you. Like, 
you know, also your family and your community and, but even the, the things that make that so meaningful, like I couldn't do those things well without yoga. And if I lose those things, it's just not going to be good. So I knew that I had to stop. And so I tried like a lot of people cutting back, like, Oh, I'll do 30 days. Oh, I'll do 90 days without. And then, but it would just go back to the same old bullshit. And, uh, so, you know, eventually my partner was like, you either stop or like, you can't be a part of this family. And that was a big wake up call. Cause I love my daughter a lot and I love my partner a lot. You know, we've been through a lot. Um, but I wasn't ready to just like, okay, I'll just go on and do my own thing. Like I, that just was a no for me. So I said, I'd been to treatment before when I was younger and I was like, look, I'll either go to treatment or I'm going to try and do this on my own. And I'm going to do this practice that you have in uh, Kundalini yoga called Aquarian Sadhana. You get up at three 30 in the morning, you practice from four till six 30. I was like, I'll do that every day for 90 days. I won't miss a day and I won't drink for the 90 days. And if I can do that without any hiccups or slips, then that'll be a sign that like, I can do this on my own. So we agreed on as a family that that would be cool. So I did that for 90 days and then it was so effective that I did it for nine months straight and uh, changed my, it changed my life. Um, you know, and that's where really the foundation of it is this Japji Saab prayer. Um, you know, I love the yoga and I love the breath and all of that, but this Japji Saab prayer really meant, means a lot to me. Um, I also went to Punjab in Northern India and on pilgrimage to go to this place, uh, called Goindaval. And you go down into this well down 84 marble steps and you dip into this well, like fully submerge. And then you step on the first stair and you recite Japji Saab takes between 10 and 20 minutes. And then you go back in the water up to the second step, recite the prayer back in the water, third step, recite the prayer back in the water. So I did that 84 uh, times. So it took about 15 hours through the night, uh, started at 8 PM and went through the night 15 hours. And it's supposed to clear your karmas for 8.4 million lifetimes. So anybody who's ever done 108 sun salutations or something like that, this is like the ultra marathon version of, of that. Um, so there's something there with that prayer and, and anybody who's like trying to get sober, I wouldn't be like, Oh, you have to do this. I would just say like, there's something about structure that is your friend, um, in recovery. And there's also exercise is really important and diet is really important. And then some kind of devotional element, which could be like your child or your whatever invokes devotion in you, like just meaning love. Um, those are kind of the key things that really worked for me, like the structure of that morning practice, um, eating really clean diet, doing a yoga practice and just having a devotional element to your practice for me, like that's what really worked. And I tried AA and I tried all the things. And for me, a yogic lifestyle is what really worked, but I had to, commit myself to it. It wasn't an, enough for me personally to just do postures. Like I just, you know, and I had a friend early on who's like, dude, if you want to get sober, like you can't just do asanas. It's not enough. Like you gotta, you got, and it's kind of interesting. Cause that's like yoga. It's like, 
You can't leave the asanas out because that's not going to work, but you also can't only do the asanas. I mean, maybe for a season it's okay, but it's an integrated holistic lifestyle program that if you apply it to your conditions, it will work. So that's what I've done. And I've been able to support some people along the way. And, you know, sadhana, your daily practice is, you know, because alcohol, alcoholism, that's a practice, you know, like, it's a, it's a form of spiritual practice. Like, you know, it really is. It was for me it had music connected to it. It had lifestyle connected to it. It was done at a certain time of the day. It was done to celebrate, you know, everything. Like it was like Christmas. Okay. New Year's. Okay. Friday. Okay. Thursday and Friday. Okay. Tuesday. All every day. It's a celebration all the time. And, uh, you know, it come, came to a point in my life where I was like, this doesn't feel like a celebration to me. I, I'm not enjoying this. Um, whereas my my practices that I do, like I just notice I'm I'm clearer, I'm more present, I'm able to be of benefit to the world and to myself. And so I that has a longer lasting effect. Yeah, and and I love what you say about the the chanting and the practice because half the yoga physical yoga is about repetition it's doing the yep. same thing over and over and over again to make the mundane basic mind blessed and sacred so when yep. you're doing those steps you're not doing them like reciting the prayer i'm so bored you're like in it using repetition to access a blessed mind state oh yeah i've done a lot of psychedelics in my life i've had a lot of psychedelic experience with substance and I'll tell you right now that 15 hours on the steps in Northern India, that was the most psychedelic, most mind opening, most challenging uh, experience of my life. Like I remember standing at the top of the stairs and for whatever reason, like there had been people around the whole time. But when I got to the top of the stairs, there was nobody around. It was just me. And I was like doing that thing where you don't know if you're laughing or crying. And like, you know, I'm just like, ah, like a complete release. And then going to this little room, you can rent a little room to put your gear in, you know, so for travelers, because people pilgrimage there. And I remember just being in that room, just like feeling so otherworldly, like it was wild. Oh. And that's where you start thinking like, there's something to the sound components of these ancient practices that uh, often gets overlooked. And even from a scientific standpoint, it's like everything is sound and vibration. And these sounds that are, they're stored all around you. Like when you sing a song that was sung to you by your mother, or when you connect to something that, you know, it's, medicine. It affects you on a cellular level. And to bring that just the way that the yoga works, it's like we're cleansing and purifying the physical with the uh, postures. We're cleansing and purifying the subtle with the breath. And, and, you know, we're moving with energy and the nadis and chakras and all of that. And we're purifying the bliss body with the devotional aspect. And that's a complete yoga practice and some things you're going to love more than others because you that's your gift you know some people are incredible musicians and other people find it hard to even 
like match the pitch or whatever. And other people are more, you know, inclined to the physical. But I think, you know, having a complete approach for me has been um, where the most healing has taken place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Uh, before we close, I could talk to you all day long, but before we close, I would love to know your your favorite teaching moment. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> My favorite teaching moment. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, maybe I'll share. I, I don't, I don't know if I can nail it down to one, but maybe I'll, I'll give three. How's that? Okay. In no particular order. So one is that, um, I taught at the Wonderlust Festival in Whistler when my daughter had just been born and uh, with uh, DJ Drez, who I really love uh, his music and his approach. And it was our first time meeting. I had wore my daughter on my chest with like a camo sling. So she was like strapped to my uh, chest. And he, we, him and I agreed that we would do an all reggae music set my daughter Marley, who's like was brand new, she was born in June. And this was, you know, in August, that kind of thing. And I taught a class to a lot, a lot of people to the reggae vibrations as like a blessing, you know, in in the Lion King, when they hold the baby up, like that was my, uh, that was my, you know, Marley's here moment. So that was really potent. Um, the first time that I taught on the platform that Dharma teaches on in the Dharma Yoga Center in New York was huge for me, um, you know, because I just learned so much from him in that space. And he always would say, would say, and still says, like, um, true spiritual knowledge is transmitted psychically, which means like just being in the presence of, you know, somebody who's in that group A and you're in that group A and you're meeting on that frequency um, it's not about what, I mean, I, you've probably heard me say this, but some of the most profound practices with Dharma, like we did four poses. It wasn't like fancy. It was probably like a bunch of shoulder stand and there was a bunch of space. And at the end, I just felt like some major healing had taken place, but it wasn't about like how much we did or how we did it, or it was just about going inside, but in a group. You know, like 70 people committed to really going deep inside themselves, but sharing space doing that. And so to be on that platform sharing um, for me was really big. And then uh, the first time that I taught a yoga class with my other teacher, Guru Singh, in the class, it was really like, you know, and then after he he was kind of like, he didn't say anything. He just kind of was like, like you got this man. And uh, yeah, that was really meaningful too, because I've been really inspired by by him in so many ways. You know, he he's, he's smart because he said like, he saw some of the behavior of Yogi Bhajan and he said from that day, I said, everything that I do, there's only going to be two people on the cover, whether it's a book, whether it's a CD, whether it's a, whatever it is I do. And that's going to be me and my wife, no other person, no other man, no other like bowing to this. It's like, and I think that's really wise. And he sort of passed that on to me. Like, he's like, that's where people get into trouble is, is they start 
someone puts them on a pedestal and then they create this karmic relationship where it's like that person's up there and I'm down here and then it, it causes problems. So um, being able to share, you know, in a space with somebody who I learned so much about relationships and being a good partner and father and um, one day grandparent, maybe, who knows? I mean, that was really powerful. And I've only ever taught with him in the room once and it was really potent. Like it was like opening up the channel and you come to the other side and be like, what just happened there? <laughs> Best feeling so in the those world. Are, those are three really big moments oh. for me just to honor my two primary teachers. And I guess my three primary teachers, Marley, uh, Sri Dharma Mitra and uh, Guru Singh. Yeah, beautiful. So Tiaga, where could people find you? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm kind of going through this whole, um, as I mentioned, everything stripped back to zero. So I stopped teaching during the pandemic and I was, that was the longest break that I took from teaching yoga, um, which was really great. And now I'm just kind of getting back. I've created this new course. We haven't launched it yet called Waking Up. And it's about how people can what, no matter how much yogic knowledge you need, you have, how you could introduce a complete sadhana into your lifestyle. And it kind of holds your hand the whole way. There's an option for a diet portion. There's an option to do meditation portion, relaxation portion, asana portion, um, that kind of thing. But I haven't launched that yet. So for now, I don't have a website up. Um, I'm going to do that in the fall, but we're we're kind of going through this big transition as a family and I can't say too much about that, but we're going to relocate in the upcoming little bit of time. And so once I land, I'll be able to say more about that. So for now I'm on Instagram at Tiaga Prem, T-I-A-G-A-P-R-E-M. Um, and you can find, I'll have the links up there for the course when it comes out, but I'm, I'm really happy with it. The people that I've worked with over time, what they love about working with me is that you get this integrated approach to yoga and then you also get the accountability piece because time and time again, it's like sadhana, a complete sadhana. That's the most important thing. Like it's wonderful that you can go to a class. It's wonderful that you subscribe to a particular lineage of practice. These are all wonderful things. It's great that you read and study and do all of those things and, and be in nature and do what you love and listen to music and have a zest for life. These are all important. But for me, the, the, the biggest part, the most uh, like the rasa, the juice of the medicine that is in yoga is in sadhana. It's a commitment to a daily practice. Uh, as you as you know, and it's like, I, I think that's people really struggle with that. They re I, I did, like it took me years to get to a point and it took uh, like, you're going to lose your family unless you pour yourself into this thing. And then it was like, wow, look what it can do. And now I'm in a place where it's like, I'm not going to lose my family. I'm not in a dire straits place, but I understand what it's like to need practice so bad that you, it, you could lose your life, you know? But it doesn't have to be like that for everybody. You could just like start a little bit here, a little bit there and, and experience great healing in your life. So I really want to bring that to people. I used to do this thing called Sadaka back in the day where I would work with people going through like all the different aspects of yoga, philosophical study, 
physical study, breathwork study, relaxation study, yogic diet, Ayurveda, Tibetan medicine. These are things that I'm interested in and, and presenting it as a whole package. So I'm just moving back into doing that. I'm excited about it. Um, and that'll probably come out in October. So for now, Tiago Prem, I'll put the links uh, on Instagram. Uh, I've got a Telegram group that's happening that anybody can join as well. The link is there and I just post daily thoughts and things that you can do and trying to kind of move away from the corporate landscape. That's kind of what happens with yogis, but still connect with people. So mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a long answer, but for now, that's what that's what it is. Amazing. I'll leave it in the show notes, but I am so uh, stoked I got to talk to you. You always make me feel so good on the inside. And uh, yeah, till next time, everyone, do your sadhana, do your work. Yeah, I like that. Do your sadhana. And uh, also remember that the enjoying your life part is an important part of, of yoga as well. But just navigating your, your choices from a place of, is this bringing healing and joy to my life? Or is this something that's causing harm that I continue to do out of habit? And if you continue to do something that's causing harm out of habit, that's a good time to ask for help. Love it. Okay. Mwah. You're the best. <laughs> Thank you. What a dude. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you liked what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast. I love you dearly. And I hope you do something that scares yourself today.